Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's being driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. What fascinates me about our next guest is that when he's around other directors, he, well, draws other directors. Joining us today is Randall Kleiser. He's directed classic films like Grease, White Fang, Flight of the Navigator, Big Top Pee Wee, among others. And he's got a brand new book called Drawing Directors, Volume 1. We talk a lot about that, and we talk about his work with Disney MGM Studios, with Honey, We Shrunk the Audience, and so much more. It's a fun chat, and I love talking to Randall for a little bit. This was great. I hope you get something out of it. For those that don't know you, could you kind of give a little bit of an elevator pitch of who you are and what you've done over the years well, I'm a film director that uh, started out at USC Film School. My roommate was George Lucas, and I was an actor in his first film. And we w- both went on to do other movies. You know him very well. I went on to do Grease, The Blue Lagoon, White Fang, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, uh, It's My Party, uh, and Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and white uh, other movies. So that's me. And... Something that I admire about you is you're not stuck to just doing films. You're creative in other ways. So I want to kind of tie that into your new book. What inspired you to kind of finally showcase these these sketches you've been doing? Well, because I'm uh, in the Directors Guild uh, and I go to a lot of events, I'm exposed to a lot of other directors. And so over the years, I've used that opportunity to draw them. And I use a technique called blind contour drawing where I have my pen on the paper and my eye on the subject and I draw without looking down. So I have this book called Drawing Directors available on Amazon, which has uh, over a hundred directors that I've met and, and drawn over the years. Of course, they don't know that I've drawn them, but then I write about each director. So the it's an interesting book, especially with Christmas coming up. As if anybody has a uh, film student, film buff, or film fan, this is a good uh, gift. And it's at Amazon Drawing Directors. So that's that's the background. What I love about it is the personal anecdotes you share, because some of them could be heartfelt, some of them could be, you know, very hilarious. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you were crafting the kind of anecdotes, how long did it take you to? construct each one because they're well 
I tell you, it's it's about a year of work to get uh, uh, to get it all written down because I I thought about the movies that I'd seen of theirs and and some of the directors. I went back and looked at their movies again so that I could pick out parts that I thought were really interesting to remember. You know, things that the moments in their films that they did that that inspired me and and they're all people I admire. So the, all these directors in the book are people I think are are really important. Uh, artists like Spielberg and, and Scorsese and uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, lots and lots of big name directors who I had the the, the great privilege of meeting over the years. It's, it's interesting. Like there were some stories in this, in this book that I, I literally, I laughed out loud because like the <laughs> way, the way you describe these, people and you know experience you've had i feel like you were talking to me yeah well that's great bob i'm really glad to hear that because i tried to just do it as if i were talking to a friend you know about these wonderful artists that i've met over the years um one of them uh of course is um george lucas who i told you i, I was roommates with in college and he's been such a a wonderful friend for over 50 years, you know? And uh, so I write about that and, and a little bit about his background. But um, yeah, there's, I'd say that uh, a lot of times I go to Q&As and I sit in the front row so I can draw these people. And, and it's just turned out to be great. Carl Weathers is a good friend. He's, he's a director too. You know, he was an actor and a director and I drew him and many, many others. So, what is the most rewarding part and challenging part for you about being being a creative person? Uh, well, getting a chance to do my work, you know. I mean, um, making a book is very easy. You do it yourself. But making a movie, you have to have lots of financing and a whole crew and everything. And I, I'm, I'm starting to get back into directing movies again. I, I, I took some time off to do kind of like high tech stuff. I was doing virtual reality and augmented reality and all that stuff, experimental stuff. And now I want to get back into making movies. Well, one of my favorite stories from the book, and maybe you could shed some light on it, is your unique gift from Chuck Jones. Oh, yes, Chuck Jones. Well, I was so excited to meet him back in 1977 at the Deauville, France Film Festival. Uh, he, I don't know why he was there, but I was there for Greece, and um, I saw him across the way, and I went over to him, and I, and I was happened to be wearing a a tie, a, a, a blank tie. It was a yellow tie, and I went up. And I said, "Could you draw something on this tie?" And so he he drew a Bugs Bunny, and he wrote under it, "This is the only Bugs Bunny on a tie in the world," and he signed his name Chuck Jones because he had, of course, invented Bugs Bunny. And so then uh, I, I, it was a prized position, and I came back to L.A., and unfortunately, I had a fire in my house, and the tie burned up. So I got another tie, and I sent it to Chuck Jones at Warner Brothers Studios, and I said, Chuck, my tie burned up. Can you do it again? And luckily, he did. And so now I have it in a fireproof uh, case in my living room. <laughs> and that's the way to do it. That's yep. the... That's the that's one of the stories that struck me because I'm 
an animation fan as well. Oh, you are. Yes. Well, he. I love all those Looney Tunes. They were so good. I. I, I they still hold up too, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, something that really struck me about this book is like it's such a a niche thing. Like you don't expect for it to be so personable and so like addictive, but I put it, I couldn't put it down. Oh, that's great to hear. You know, I, I, I just, uh, I, I admire these people so much. I, and some of them I went to school with like John Carpenter, the famous horror guy who did Halloween. And, uh, you know, so I, I some of these people I've, I've known for many, many, many years. And Wes Craven is another horror guy. And as I said in, in the book, he uh, filmed Scream 3 in my house. And then uh, at one point, he had the house blow up. And to do that, they built an exact replica of my house, but it was one-third scale. So it was, it was pretty, still pretty big. And they had five cameras going, and they blew the whole thing up. I, I went out to watch it. They did it out in the valley. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was really fun to see my house blow up. And you can see that on YouTube, a Scream 3 house blow up, you know. That must be one of your other proudest achievements that no one knows about until now. <laughs> um, I, I, love, I love this book. And I love the more, the more recent book you've been putting out because you've been, you know, putting out a glimpse of your world and making people realize that these people behind these films and the properties that we love are just people too. Right. Well, like Jerry Lewis, you know, he, he was somebody that I studied with at USC film school. And when we heard that he was going to be teaching, we thought, Oh, it'll be like a comedy class, but it turned out to be totally different. He, he turned out to be a wonderful teacher because as he was acting in all those movies, he was studying how, Everybody did their job, and he learned how to do each person's job on the set. He knew how to load up a camera. He knew how to run the, the sound equipment. He knew all about visual effects. And so when he came to teach us, he was he was really good, and he taught us a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, I want to know, I want to know, what do, you, what do you hope that people take away from this book? Because like I said, it's an interesting concept, and not everybody's going to get the same thing out of it. People are going to find different things that they gravitate towards. But what's the general takeaway for you with this book? Well, I think you put your finger on it. You said that uh, you get to know them as people. Not only are they artists, but uh, there's little anecdotes about about them and and how they how they uh, what they do off camera. You know. Um, but I tried to focus pretty much on on why I thought they were in the book, why I why I respected them, and why I thought they were should be in it. Uh, my my other classmate John Milius is in there, and of course he wrote the wonderful lines "Charlie Don't Surf" from uh, Apocalypse Now, and I love the smell of napalm in the morning, and then the Dirty Harry character. Go ahead, make my day. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? These are all written by my friend, John Milius, who I went to school with. So I wrote, I, he's in the book, too. So I've got, I've got a couple other questions for you. Because so, I've always wanted to talk to you. And now that you're here, I kind of want to pick your brain. Okay. You've, you've always done kind of immersive content and kind of 
letting people into a certain world, whether it be your films or other things. But I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Yeah, pretty briefly. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, what we get kind of like doing an immersive show like that. Well, uh, it's kind of a, a form of virtual reality, you know, because it's like we tried to make it seem like you were looking at a live show uh, on and the, on stage, and we had seventy millimeter three D um, cameras film the actors the the same size that they would be when they're projected, as if they were would be if it was a live show. So you're sitting in the audience, and the people up on the stage in three D look like they are um, real people. And uh, so, and then we had all kinds of effects in the theater that, you know, like uh, the whole theater would move and uh, there'd be things spraying you in the face with water and, and little things. There's a scene where a thousand mice get loose in the theater and there are little weed whackers under every chair and people would scream <laughs> thinking that they were real mice. And, you know, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, it was really fun to go and and watch it with the audiences because they reacted, of course, to all those um, interactive things. For sure. And I think you've kind of done it it again with, you know, Grease VR and other avenues. So you kind of got your finger on the pulse as to what's going on. And I think you know, more people should kind of embrace this technology because the truth is, you know, as a child with a disability growing up, I couldn't really play outside. So TV and film and music and all that stuff was really my escape. And a lot of it, if VR was the, the case then or immersive experiences, you know, it'd be a lot different. Well, you know, I there is on YouTube. There's a, um, a behind the scenes director's commentary on "Honey, I Shrunk the Audience." If you just if people type in "Honey, I Shrunk the Audience" director's commentary, they can watch the show and hear every little detail about how we made it and and what what it was like. Because it's no longer there. You know, they 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 transitioned to other other events, but now you can sort of get an idea of what it was like. Yeah. So there's a question that I always ask. My guess, and I want your opinion on it. Um, what are your thoughts on disability inclusion within media, the work that you do? Well, uh, you know, I did The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Well, that was uh, about a, a, disability, a, a boy with disabilities. And uh, the real boy only lived to be 12 years old, unfortunately. But we did, when we shot it with John Travolta, we had him get to, you know, in his 20s. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I've done a couple things like that. I'm trying to remember what other projects, and and I, I think there's a thing called Cinema Disability, uh, a documentary that was made. Did you ever see that? I haven't, but I would love to check it out. Yeah, I can't remember the exact title, but it, 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 I'll look it up now while we're talking. Jenny Gold was the director, and she is in a wheelchair, and uh, and she made this whole movie. Jenny Gold. Uh, uh, about about disability in, in film. Another great documentary was Crip Camp. That was great. Did you see that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Oh, I see it. Cinema ability. Cinema ability. That's how it is. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah. Liability. And that's the name of the documentary. And it's quite good. I, I believe I'm in it. Uh, but, but like, um, Ben Affleck is talking in it about the disability. So yeah, there's lots of, uh, people doing it. And, you know, so many times, um, movies that include that uh, are ones that get lots of good reviews and Oscars and all that, because people want to uh, understand what people go through and the drama that they have to deal with. Yeah, because truthfully, it's because of the stuff that you all do that I'm doing what I do now. I'm, I'm 28. I started doing this podcast when I was 15 years old because I needed an outlet to express my interest and my common thread between the world. Well, I could tell from talking to you that you know what you're doing and you have uh, good questions and you've done research, which is always important for any journalist. Oh, trust me, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's super cool just to hear your stories because when, when I read this book, I was so enamored by the breadth of people that you're just a fan of everybody in this book and it really shows yeah like uh buster keaton i mean how how lucky was i to meet buster keaton the famous silent film star he he was on doing a cameo role in beach blanket bingo and i had snuck onto the set as a film student to learn how productions were shot and there he was sitting in a corner no one was talking to him they didn't know who he was and of course being a film student i knew and i had seen his movies and i went over and got to talk to him about his films and one of them is called the general and it's is an epic a silent film epic where they had thousands of extras in costumes they had a uh, a steam engine go over a bridge and the bridge explodes and the, and the engine goes, falls into the, into the river. This is all done real, no CGI in those days. And, uh, if it were done today, it would be like $200 million movie. It was all done by this silent film actor, ben, B- Buster Keaton. The story you just shared about meeting him really struck a chord with me because I've heard you mention this several times. And it's like, you, you knew you wanted to do something. You knew you wanted to be in this field. Yes, it might not be the most conventional way of getting to learn the craft, but you had the inspiration just to sneak onto the set because it's what you wanted. Yeah, it was an obsession, right, to learn things. Yeah, because otherwise you're not going to... Like, even for my generation, it's like you could look... As many, as many things up on the internet, but there's something about talking to a person and seeing how it's done that adds a whole other dimension to what we're trying to do. Well, you have to remember, when I was your age, there was no internet, so I, there, I had no choice. <laughs> you, to learn things, you had to fit, go out and do it yourself. Because Yeah, but I'm saying even though I had these tools, mm-hmm. I would prefer that because yeah. It's all about human interaction for me. Yeah, I get it, right? Mm-hmm. So what's up next for you? Is there is there a volume two to this series? Absolutely. I have 100 more drawings that I've, I've done, and I've, I've got the, the writing, the, the text, I'm like 80% done. I'm just finishing up volume two. So, and that one includes uh, people like George Cukor and... Uh, 
Federico Fellini, who I met in Rome uh, uh, when he heard when he heard I was in town, and he had seen Greece and he uh, enjoyed it, and he invited me to Cinecetta Studios where he was starting his new movie, and the ship sails on, and he took me on a tour of the back lot, walking around, showing me where he filmed all his movies. It was a thrill I'll never forget. And when when do you plan to get that out within the next year or two? Yeah, probably the next year. I I, I just want to get it right because uh, you know I, I want to make sure all the the the, uh, the the text is well done because you know at first you, you know you know you know as, if you, if you've done any writing you know it's all about rewriting. I mean, I'm writing. I've been writing a novel for over ten years. So I, What's the novel about that you're doing? It's a young adult novel, and it's about a teenage boy with a disability who, who you know, he he's a collector. He collects things, but he collects things that might be a little broken or a little damaged because his father his father taught him that even if you're not you're not perfect you're not you're you can't walk you can't do these things you still have value and the book is tentatively titled um Lim- limited edition that sounds great i'd love when you get it done please let me know i'll buy a copy i'd love to read that it sounds terrific yeah because i feel in my head that all books are great, but when I was of the target demographic, like that middle grade, there aren't books that are as diverse. And I I want kids to have what I wanted, mm-hmm. and that's what I that's what I'm trying to do. Right. When I was uh, 17, uh, my dad was head of a school for emotionally disturbed and, and autistic children. And um, he he asked me to work in the summer camp. So I worked with all the kids. And um, I was amazed to find how smart so many of them were. And we, t- in order to get them a chance to express themselves, we made a little eight millimeter film, the whole group of us, and showed it at the end of the camp. And uh, th- the kids loved being creative like that. They loved uh, acting and writing and, and being in the film. So... And for me, it was fun to make a film because I was just starting out. And we're the best audience because any chance that we can showcase our strengths and our differences, we're all for it. Have you heard of Exceptional Minds? I have. I know people that have gone there, too. Yeah, because they do all kinds of visual effects for different movies. And uh, I've been over there and I bought some of the artwork by the students. Uh it's, they're very, very creative. I I really hope, coming away from this conversation in our short time, that I've, ta- I've taught you a thing or two. Because if I could teach somebody, just by talking to them about disability, right. even indirectly, then I feel like I've done my job. Good. Well, I have had some experience around um that world and so i do understand what you're talking about before we wrap up i know you're short on time but i this is another thing that kind of informed my comedic sensibilities and that is peewee herman ah yes peewee and obviously we just lost him a couple months back what are your memories of working on that film 
Well, uh, first of all, I was shocked to hear that he was had passed because he kept it very, very quiet. You know, I had written to him uh, by email, like just about um, a few days before he passed. And I said, hey, you know what? My my place in Hawaii is open. Let's go over and have some fun over there and just hang out. And he said, oh, I'd love to, but I'm working on a book. I'm too busy. I can't. Actually, he was dying, but he didn't want to tell me. So that was that was sad. And so it came as a total shock. But going back to what your question about working with him, well, he was very much like one of the silent film stars like Buster Keaton. I mean, he had uh, his peewee persona worked. A, a lot of it worked visually without uh, without dialogue and the way he moved the way he the look that he had the makeup that he wore it all felt very much like those old silent film stars so in some cases uh, we did scenes that were right out of a silent film for instance in big top peewee when the when the hurricane comes there's a moment where he's hanging on to the um, do the doors of the the the, the uh, basement and he's he's flying <coughs> he's hanging on his his body is perpendicular to the ground. He's hanging on. It's just exactly like that of a silent movie. So that was his idea. He wanted to do that kind of a stuff throughout the movie, you know, give it, give it that kind of feel of the old time films. Well, I will say this. The thing that he taught me, and I'm sure that it kind of rubbed off on you, is that it's okay to be different. Oh, yeah. He's, he was very different. That's for sure. He was... He was kind of the poster child of that for a while, and I, I, I just loved him. So, Randall, it was a thrill talking to you, and I hope that we could keep in touch because this was such a wonderful chat, and I hope that people check out your book. DJ Bob, thank you so much, and be sure to let me know when you're when your novel's ready because it sounds like it even could even be a movie. So, where can people get your book again? Just on Amazon, drawing directors on Amazon. Perfect. And we'll put a link to it in our website or whatever so people can grab it. Wonderful. Thanks for hanging out with us at the DJ Bob Show. If you like this episode, drop us a line at djbobrunkle at gmail.com. That's djbobrunkel at gmail.com. Let us know what you liked most about this episode and what other guests we should have on the DJ Bob Show. Thanks so much again for hanging out with us. This is Nate Beagle, your humble announcer.